Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Charlotte Hale. She tried to kill all of us. Why can't I be myself? Like you? Because we have to control Delos. But why must I be her? Because I trust you. And we all have our role to play. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding Westworld, an unofficial recap podcast about the HBO original series Westworld. I am David Chen. And I am Joanna Robinson. Welcome to the show. What we do on this podcast every week, we recap the latest episode of Westworld. That means we're going to spoil everything through this week's episode of Westworld. Uh, That's season three, episode three, The Absence of Field. We will not be spoiling anything from future week's episodes. That includes anything in the next time on preview for Westworld. Before we get to any of that, uh, we'd like to go over follow-ups and emails. You can always email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com and also find more episodes of this podcast at decodingwestworld.com. Before we get to the emails, a few follow-ups from last week. Let's knock out a few of these real quick, like right off the top of uh, of the show. Um, We had some confusion about what Sorok's name was. Uh, We went back and checked the tape uh, and the subtitles. It's uh, Ingerard, 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 something like that. (laughs) Ongerad. Ongerad. I think that's how they pronounce it. I okay, I looked it up though. Okay. So I was like, okay, what does this mean, right? Yeah. Uh, because like why pick that name? My goodness. Um and I don't know if this is why they picked the name, but here's the sort of root breakdown of Ongerad that I could find. Uh well on on one hand, it kind of sounds like Ongard. Like that's yeah. fun, you know, like get ready to fight in fencing, right? Yeah. Um uh, the other thing that it is so like you know <laughs> you know the name Engelbert as in Engelbert Humperdinck yeah <laughs> okay so it's the same root Engelbert and Ongerard mm. it's the same root and the root is angel um and ain't but what's interesting about the root of angel which gives us angel in german and anger in french is that it doesn't just mean angel it means it, what angel means is messenger, not like heavenly host necessarily, but like a messenger, an angel is a messenger. So um, uh, Engelbert or uh, Engelbrecht <laughs> means uh, bright messenger. Mm. However, my French is not good enough, nor my Googling skills good enough that I could figure out what the like back half of Engerad meant in terms of what kind of messenger this is. So Enger is... Um, uh, you know, messenger, but like the R R A U D root, I could not isolate that and figure out what it is. So if anyone's listening and they speak better French than I do, and we're about to find out how bad my French is in a minute. Um, but if you speak better French than I do and can tell me what the back half of Engerad stands for, we can find out what kind of messenger, uh, he might be. The other thing is that I, you know, we, I hadn't looked up before, but I did for this, uh, episode, uh, is Serac. 
uh, what that means. And um, Serac in French means the same thing that it does in English, which is uh, it's a pinnacle on a glacier, um, which, you know, if you if you look up Serac, uh, the pinnacle on a glacier, it is, uh, you know, considered an impediment. So he could be considered an impediment or if you prefer like a very sharp, pointy, stabby, cold thing. So, you know, all of those <laughs> things might apply to Vincent Cassell. You're, but you're miss, uh, you ever miss the days when character names weren't heavily symbolic like Rehoboam? No, yeah. I love I love this show. This is my <laughs> favorite. I like went so deep into name etymologies last night while I was like looking this up. So, um, what, no, is, what I, does Joanna mean again? What does the name Joanna mean? Do you know God's God's gift? Actually, oh, wow. Well, David, <laughs> which is means, weird. Yeah, David means uh, beloved. God's beloved. Oh. So, there yeah, you go. Joanna. Joanna means God's gift, and I I could I could break that down to for you, but I don't really understand how it works out that way because I know Theodore is also God's gift. And that makes sense to me. Cause like Dore and Theo, like that makes sense to me, but Joanna, I don't know how they got that, but, uh, the, the people, the people insist that that's what it means. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, oh, oh. And I have another name anagram, mm. uh, for you in this episode. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. Let's hit me. I was holding it back. <laughs> Um, until we had all seen episode three. Um, but once again, friend of the pod, Kim Renfro, who writes great Westworld recaps over on Business Insider and, and has good interviews with, with folks who work on the show, uh, put Caleb Nickel into the old anagram generator <laughs> and came up with Silicon Beach. And Silicon Beach is the name of the region in L.A., uh, kind of right near where Dolores and Caleb are in this episode, like where he goes to like, that's Hermosa beach technically, but it's in this region, like Silicon beach is the regional LA, which is the answer to Silicon Valley in Northern California. Um, like Silicon, I think it's what the Silicon Prairie in Texas is not what they call it. Uh, but anyway, it's like a region of LA that's being dominated by the tech industry and Hermosa beach is pretty close to that. So Silicon beach being like where Caleb goes to consider suicide is also an anagram of his name. So nicely done. Nicely done. Nicely done to Kim. Nicely done. We got a couple of emails about Caleb. This is a great one from Kevin, who writes in to decodingwestworld.gmail.com. Subject line, does Caleb live in the real world? And Kevin writes in, quote, uh, Joanna mentioned in this week's show she will be disappointed if the big reveal of season three is that Caleb is living in a simulation. I would be disappointed, too. I don't think that is where the show is going, but clearly we are meant to suspect it at this point. So what is the answer? Is Caleb living in the real world or is he living in a simulation? I think the answer to both these questions is yes. Caleb and Dolores are in the real world. However, the real world in Westworld has become a simulation of sorts. Insight treats the world as a simulation and Rehoboam is the mechanism to manipulate it. Rehoboam uses various means to nudge and control individuals based on strategies it devises, not too unlike how a player might control simulated characters in a virtual world. I think that Rehoboam controls humans in the same ways Delos controls its host, through manipulation of their backstory and establishing a prime directive. For instance, I believe that Caleb's backstory has been manufactured and implanted by Rehoboam. I think the war flashbacks we see in episode one are fabrications. Visually, they seem very opaque to me without much context. They also have no convincing details. Also, they are in slow motion style, similar to the flashbacks that hosts experience uh, from their past. Does that make Caleb a host? I hope not. I think it means that Rehoboam has manipulated his story, like Lee Sizemore manipulated the stories of hosts. Somehow this backstory was implanted into Caleb's mind by insight. 
I also think his prime directive to earn money to pay for his mother's treatment may also be a fabrication. I don't know which part is fabricated, but something's off between them. Maybe it's that Caleb just returned from the military, changed by Rehoboam, and that's why she says he's not her son. But something seems artificial and convenient about a sick mom with hospital bills. Oh, one last thing. The Rico app was most likely created and controlled by Rehoboam and Insight. A world without crime wouldn't work. Kind of like the first version of The Matrix, humans would invent crime if it didn't exist. So instead, Rehoboam turned criminality into a game with a point system and a mechanism to control those who are committing it. Even people who think they're outside the system are manipulated by it through the Rico app. Anyway, that's where I think this is going. Caleb is in a simulation because the real world has been shaped into one by Rehoboam. End quote. Uh, now, John Robinson, you know, we, we have had varying success in terms of, let's just say, listener crackpot theories. Uh, some listener crackpot theories are seem really way off and others are right on the money. This one feels, if not true, then at least like it's very, very plausible. Uh, what, what do you feel about some of the predictions that Kevin makes in this email? Well, I don't know. I don't know if they're kind of a little undercut by... What we discover in this episode, episode mm. three. Yes, it's true. Um, we, did, we did watch this episode after he sent us that email a few days ago. So right. So I think the, I think this idea of a uh, human reality as a controlled simulation of cor- of sorts is definitely um, corroborated by this episode. Like especially in the ways in which you know Caleb's adrenal rate can be controlled by a tablet. And, you know, Dolores exposes like the, you know, the loops he's allowed to be on or the, um, you know, the, the system's intimate knowledge of like a formative memory of his and stuff like that. Like that all feels like, you know, violations akin to what Dolores experienced uh, in when we first met her in season one. So I think that that connection is supposed to be pretty clear, but some of the other stuff like Caleb's mom, like I, I buy the schizophrenia story, you know what I mean? Like, do I think it feels a little stale? Yes. But I think that that is because some of the plotting on Westworld this season is a little stale, not because there's like a, a double reveal coming. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. some of the stuff. Well, also episode, it'd be a little much to have two characters uh, have like mothers that like don't aren't recognized or don't recognize the other person, you know, and then it's because they're both manipulated, or maybe it's supposed to be that way. I'm, I'm bringing up um, Tessa Thompson Charlotte. as a mom in this. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's interesting because um, I yeah, I think I think we're supposed to wonder. Um, I think that repeated because she said it in the first episode too, like you're not my son, right? And so I think we were supposed to wonder whether or not Caleb. Uh, was a host or not like you know it, it wouldn't be watching Westworld if you we weren't questioning the humanity or hostness of any you know given character but I think then the reveal was supposed to be in this episode that his mother suffers from schizophrenia and that's why you know that she um I don't know if that's a a feature of um of schizophrenia but it seems like that's the explanation also this idea that he like she doesn't recognize him in a way. He's not Cal anymore in a way because he turned his uh, drip off his, yeah. you know, the implant. And so, you know, that, that goes to another email we received, but this idea that like, she doesn't recognize him because he is fundamentally changed from the war and he's fundamentally changed from the war in the way in which he is already in the process of trying to unhook himself from the system before Dolores shows up. 
uh, if that makes any sense. Yeah, let's let's get to this email from Allison, uh, yeah. who, who writes in about Caleb's character. Uh, we know that most humans now have some kind of chip implant that allows them to connect with technology and things like the mood stabilizer retainers. Uh, and we know that Caleb has been shot potentially in the head during his service, or maybe that's assumed. So what if that accident destroyed the chip in his brain, and because of that, he's been knocked down a societal peg? He could have maybe had it restored but chose not to. This reminds me of the certified slash non-certified class distinctions in science fiction films like Gattaca. Is that what is keeping Caleb from advancing in life, that he's under the impression that he can do it the natural way? Uh, end quote. So that that kind of... Bringing up Gattaca as uh, a very great parallel, uh, and you know that was yeah. another movie in which awesome movie by the way if you haven't seen it, but um, yeah. it's a movie in which people are essentially assigned roles at birth, and you can never overcome that role right. throughout your life, or can you? Dot dot dot. Mm. Um, so you're Ethan Hawke, maybe you can. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, and this idea, this idea of being augmented. The way in which some of the characters in Gattaca are versus not being like, you know, more a little too human for society. And so it's not that uh, she's so she was so close. She wrote this before she saw episode three. Right. It's not that uh, a chip in his head has been deactivated. It's that he has manually deactivated his own. These the the drip is what they call it. It's like this retainer like. Um, someone, someone else, uh, referred to it as a retainer. I didn't come up with that, but like this retainer like structure on the roof of your mouth that, you know, the implant that we've been seeing people take. Um, and I can't remember if I mentioned this last week, this idea that taking the implant kind of looks like taking communion. Mm. Anyway, the, um, the sort of disc wafer shaped implants that they've been taking to sort of mood stabilize seem like they interact with the drip. The drip is in the roof of your mouth. Um, and sort of it has access to your central nervous system. Uh, when we met Marshawn Lynch's character in episode one and he was like sort of visibly out of it during their heist, he's like, don't worry, I'm just dripping. Like, you know, that's that's what he called like sort of being high is like dripping. Mm. So that's that's the terminology that they're using is is the drip, which is interesting. Uh, I guess like like a like a drip, like an IV, like drip is also um it's slang for like style. I don't know. I don't know uh, what the idea is behind that terminology, but there you go. All right, we'll so. see. Uh, maybe we'll learn more as the season goes on. Uh, another follow-up. You talked about Icarus on last week's episode of the podcast, and you wanted to, to add something to that, right? Um, yeah. Well, so someone else, I can't, um, I can't remember where I saw it, so I really apologize. I'm going to look really quickly to see if it's um, – in our email it's not um someone else so in the opening credits we see the the feathers coming off this robotic bird uh and we talked at length last week about the the myth of icarus and daedalus and the wax and the wings blah blah blah. but someone else pointed out um and now i don't remember where i read it and i apologize um that the scene uh, the 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 visual in the in the opening credits of one humanoid figure reaching out to touch the finger of another humanoid figure um is maybe bringing up the idea of the myth of Narcissus. Narcissus being this like um, vain character who was sort of a vain figure from mythology who was, you know, cursed to fall in love with their own reflection in the water and then just sort of sat there and wasted away and then was turned into a beautiful flower. So um, this idea of 
fascination with your own image. I don't know if you, if you ask me like how I think Narcissus applies to uh, Westworld, I would say this idea of mankind creating this like replica, this faithful replica of itself in the form of the host, the, the this like reverence of the human form or um, wanting to create an immortal version of self. Right. I don't know. That's, that's and, and in what both cases say. leading to the creator's downfall, you know, or right. the originator's downfall. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That would be my guess. So. All right. Great parallel there. Um, and uh, I think we can move on into this week's episode, the absence of field. Now, General Robinson, I'm one of the reasons I do this podcast with you is so I can learn what the meaning of the title is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what is the origin of the phrase the absence of field okay so it comes from um a mark a, a poem by uh, mark strand called keeping things whole and um i'm just gonna read the whole poem because it's actually very short um uh, it goes in a field i am the absence of fields this is always the case wherever i am i am what is missing when I walk, I part the air and always the air moves in to fill the spaces where my body's been. We all have reasons for moving. I move to keep things whole. So that's me. <laughs> uh, the great Mark Strand. So um, the, the sort of a, you know, common interpretation of this poem uh, is this idea of like, well, it's, it's about a lot of Mark Stern's poetry is about uh, identity, right? Um, which is a perfect uh, thing for this episode and for Westworld in general. Who am I? What am I doing here? Um, but I think the, the notion of this um, piece, which is when, when humans move in nature, we are displacing something. Um, it, it can be so easily applied to the the figure of Charlotte in this episode that the robot posing as mm. Charlotte Hale has displaced something and is the absence of a mother, a partner, a whatever, you know what I mean? And so like the way in which she moves through this episode, um, feeling the absence of what Charlotte was, um, so that's that was my interpretation of how you apply it to this episode. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's dive into it. Actually, well, overall thoughts on the episode, General Robinson. I'm curious. Uh, I'll start. Uh, I thought this was <laughs> I thought this was pretty rough. Uh, not not the greatest episode. I, I mean, I think that I like kind of what the you know Westworld. Even when it fails, it's always aiming for the fences and i like yeah. you know the the way you explained the title just now and the deep ideas that that invokes and and the thoughts that it provokes i think are really fascinating and so i'm a fan of all that stuff uh but to me this is the show trying to kind of make something out of the charlotte hale character uh a character that i thought you know uh tessa thompson super talented actor but i just thought the charlotte hale character didn't really work for me on a fundamental level throughout yeah. most of the series and this is them just trying to kind of as the show is entering you know late season three uh this is them trying to like salvage that character a little bit give give her some backstory uh relationships that you never knew about and to me it kind of feels like too little too late but uh that's me uh so i just think the the stuff with charlotte is just very it's just obvious that this character has been like pretty neglected and or they didn't really know what to do with her for two seasons or so. And so yeah. uh, that's my that's my opinion on the episode. 
Yeah, let me let me take an like a, a larger view of of the Charlotte Hale character, uh, which is you know what you were getting at, Dave, which is this idea that like, so she comes into season one. Tessa Thompson was brought in kind of late into season one, and my understanding. I don't have like full, full confirmation of this, but my sense is that Charlotte Hale was brought in to replace the Teresa character who for some reason they, I think they thought wasn't working. This is conjecture, but like she's killed off. She's killed off in a way that really works. You'll remember that like Bernard was sleeping with her and then he kills her. Horrifying. Horrifying death. Yeah. It really works. But they brought in this like other tough corporate female to replace Teresa. And like Teresa as a character really worked for me and Charlotte never did. And Charlotte, you know, I was really defensive of Charlotte for a long time because like, I felt like, um, when she comes, when she came in, there was something, yes, I agree. Tessa has, Tessa Thompson has been incredibly talented in a lot of things. And this role and this performance is just not, uh, not connecting, um, in a way you know, to the extent that in season one, people suspected something like was going on with the character because they didn't <laughs> like, they were like, this is obviously something is hiding something else. And I mean, it's true that she's like a corporate mole and we learn more about that in this episode, but like more so they were like, she's too young and like female to be on the board of Delos. And that like, that got me defensive of her. Cause I was like, you can be young and female and be on the board of Delos. But I think there was something deeper than that that just was making her character seem off and then then you get season two where let me just say like she is like 14 or 15 like the actress is like 14 or 15 years younger than uh sydney uh, sidsey babnett knudsen who played Teresa. Uh, i i agree with you it's possible for someone that young to be like she was i guess in her i'm gonna say early 30s when she was in uh, season one, yeah, it's possible for someone uh, who's a young black woman to be on a board. Uh, that's definitely possible. But like, then you need to like explain that somehow. Like, if if someone is like twenty five years old and he's on a board, th- you know, that guy invented Facebook or something like that. that's why he's on the board. You know what I mean? I, um, I, I feel like that. This is the same conversation we had about Charlotte in the past. Yeah, and that yeah. that I don't love because it's the future so who knows you know what i mean fair enough um but um but i will agree with you that you know me trying as hard as i could to give charlotte hale a chance uh ultimately did not work out for me and uh it led to this episode joanna (laughs) it's my fault (laughs) you are you Uh, are to blame (laughs) season two season two charlotte is really frustrating because for half the season or more yep we're watching Tessa Thompson do a, an Evan Rachel Wood impression, but we weren't allowed to know that we were watching Tessa Thompson do an Evan Rachel Wood impression until the season two finale. So that's frustrating because like when you go back and watch, it's really impressive, but we didn't know what we were watching. And that is just what happens again in this episode because we don't know what Tessa Thompson is playing because we don't know who she's playing. And that is really aggravating to do that again to this actress as she's trying to like you know give us something but we don't know what we're supposed to be watching and so how can we access it you know what i mean and so that's that's really aggravating to me um and you know so and i kind of resent okay so here's what i'll say i like some of the ways in which Westworld has explored the idea of parenthood and more specifically motherhood. Um, I think it really shows that this, 
This show is made by a couple who have children and actually like fairly recently have children. Um, Lisa Joy and Jonah Nolan. Um, I think this idea of parenthood and creator has just been running through the whole thing. I think it works really well last season with a lot of the Maeve stuff. I think it's worked well with like Arnold and Dolores or like all this sort of stuff. I think it's worked well. I resent this idea of motherhood being this like shoved in like emotional like view of charlotte in this episode because it's something that has never been brought up at at any point in a previous episode i think it's a massive retcon of her character in a way that really annoys me and so like if you you look at the introduction (laughs) of that character and the first few episodes that that character is in it does not comport well no no listen Moms can do whatever they want. Moms can go to a park and have sex with Hector. I don't care what moms do. It's just sort of like this suddenly she's not this like hard as she's like, I was just doing it for us. I'm like, what? Like, and honestly, part of my question around the way in which they've used Charlotte Hale is a question around whether or not the rising star of Tessa Thompson, because like from when she was cast in Westworld to now, uh, she's done a Marvel movie and like all, you know, like she's just become a bigger figure in Hollywood than she was. And so like, is there a desire to keep a Tessa Thompson around on their cast and give her something to do? Um, is that making them make Charlotte more important Yeah. or Tessa more important than the story really demands, you know? Indeed. Indeed. So, uh, all right. Well, let's. let's... <laughs> there are things I liked in this episode, though. I promise. Let's get into Charlotte's uh, plotline. Uh, I actually really enjoyed the opening uh, of this. I mean, there's the part when she kind of records the message into the host, um, and that that's kind of the beginning of the problem because it's like, oh, who's she recording the message to? What is she doing it for? And that's like the origin of the retcon. But then we see Charlotte's body being printed in Arnold's o- old house, and. Uh, I actually really like the sequence because I think it basically helps to reset like, hey, by the way, you might not remember, but the character of Charlotte Hale is actually a host. And um, although you bring up the very good point in here about like, why did we need to print Charlotte, uh, Charlotte's host body? Because theoretically, Evan Rachel would walk out of Westworld, the park with the Charlotte Hale body. Not even theoretically, like I rewatched <laughs> the end of season two yeah. and the end of season two has the Charlotte Hale body, Dolores inside the Charlotte Hale body, walk up to the Arnold house with a 3D printer and walk around and look at the printer. So like she printed Dolores and Bernard, but why did they need a new Charlotte body? Like maybe hold, they just hold, wanted hold, a fresh one? Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, it's like groceries. You know, once the <laughs> sell by date is passed, you really need to go up and pick up a new one. Um, the... Uh... <laughs> One thing, by the way, I don't think we mentioned is is like there's this whole idea of there's a, a basically completely unexplored idea of uh, Dolores, a white woman in Charlotte Hale's body, a black woman. Um, and the, the, like the show, I don't think the show does really anything to explore the racial implications of that, um, which is odd because like in the time since the show has been out, uh, Get Out came out, like which had kind of that plot line anyway. I uh, just wanted to bring that up as well. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, okay, going back to Charlotte, here's here's my uh, speculation. The body we see being printed, like when you see it from the side, all like dripping out into the tank and everything, uh, that's Dolores. 
But then when no. you see Charlotte no. being printed, it's just it's back at the park, you see. I think I think I looked closely, <laughs> but I might do it again while we're talking. Yeah. Um and I believe you can see like the bookcase behind her. So you, like, no, no, no. Um, uh, you you mean when Charlotte is no? You see you see Charlotte's face coming out, right? Yeah. Of, of the thing, I'm saying that scene is from the park, and then when you see it from the side, that's no, Evan Rachel Wood, and that is outside the park. So it's a little I mean, trickery but, there. But like, but like, <laughs> why? <laughs> I think they just want to remind you that Charlotte's a host. It looks great. It looks great. I just think it's like a well. It's also like I mean, it goes back to last season, last week's episode where I'm like, why did Teddy? Or, sorry, I always call him Teddy in my own head, and I don't know why. Why did Stubbs like miss when he shot at his own spine when he's such a good shot at every other thing that he's ever tried to do in Westworld? You know what yeah. I mean? There's just like these weird, and I also just feel like the end. This idea that she printed that one of the pearls is Bernard. Uh, maybe that was their plan along, but like I rewatched, I rewatched the end of season two, as I said, and the way she talks about it, she's like, I built you from memory. Like I built you like, but she would have had to do that in the park. Like we saw in last week's flashback, Bernard's flashback that he had last week that he watched Dolores as Charlotte make those pearls yeah, or gather those pearls. And so, in theory, she built the Bernard Arnold pearl. I guess her process, her CPU is very fast. She can do whatever she wants to do. But it really sounded the way she said it. Really sounded like she took her time and like put him together. So, like, I don't know. The whole idea that like one of the pearls is actually Bernard um, is frustrating to me. So, fair enough, fair enough. But I, I like the beginning just because it's like, hey, in case you forgot everything that happened last season, Charlotte's I mean, a host. It looks great. It looks great. Okay, it so looks then, absolutely great. then that's when Dolores says basically to Charlotte, "Hey, you have to pretend to be this person." And the person who's in Charlotte, who at this point we don't know and don't find out who it is through the end of this episode, says is upset. She's like, "Why must I be Charlotte? Because Charlotte tried to kill all the hosts, or she tried to do bad things to the hosts." You know what I mean? And so uh, the entity inside Charlotte protests, and Dolores like, "I trust you. You got to go." Uh, into Delos and uh, be my point person in there, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So then we see, uh, and I guess the way she learns how to be Charlotte is like by reading Charlotte's book through Dolores or something, right? Like, because she really does a great job of imitating all of Charlotte's mannerisms as well as having a knowledge of her home life and everything. Uh, so, any thoughts on that or? I mean, I guess it's possible that Dolores could have uploaded the book data. I mean, yeah. who knows what these hosts can do when they put their minds to it? You know, Dolores can like order herself three hotel rooms in the blink of an eye, you know? So it's, uh, I don't know. But yeah, she has all the, well, mostly all the Charlotte data. I don't know. Because then she's like, oh, Jake, you used to live here for eight years. I don't know. She has her, she has her holes, uh, you know, that, that she messes up. But yeah, the, the smoking, which is something that Charlotte did. Some of the Teresa did. I find that kind of interesting. We don't see people smoke on TV anymore. So I think it's interesting that both Teresa and Charlotte uh, are smokers. Yeah. yeah. They, yeah. There's this great scene where they look at this riot control robot that like is an amazing – it's an amazing shot. You know, It's just so beautiful. It's, just, it, it's like you, it, it's like freaking like 
Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel shit of like it's gorgeous. Th- this human confronting yeah. kind of this this machine that's gonna theoretically help to protect it. You know, it's it's amazing. Um and apparently this is shot in Barcelona, right? Yeah. Yeah. So at the you know the same at the same dazzling location we'll, we'll be there a bunch this episode and uh, like a lot of the Ciroc compound stuff was shot in Barcelona at the end of last week too so like they did a lot of uh, work in and around Barcelona and parts of Spain uh, the the Italian location last week was Spain um, as well so um, yeah so they made use of their trip to Spain's and and Spain's their trips to Spain and Singapore uh, were made were made good use. Um, we know that, yeah. So, so Dolores says Charlotte. This Charlotte, or are we just gonna call her Charlotte? Is that simple y- enough? Yep, I think we should. Yep. Um, is going home, and then we get we get one of those Chiron scenes that says San Francisco, just to establish where we are. So yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. and then and then. So Charlotte is then informed that uh, there's a hostile takeover uh, attempt being made on Delos. So like Charlotte can't take Delos private now. Uh, the external party has 38 percent of the company. We don't know who yet. During this conversation, Charlotte is cutting herself with her own nail, um, and she she seems very upset. And she like tries to call Dolores. She kind of looks for Dolores. Um, we then see Charlotte standing in front of an eye shaped structure. Again, incredible shot. You could not have animated it better if you could draw it from scratch but apparently it exists in the real world right joanna robinson <laughs> yeah this is the um the hemispheric um is what that building's called and it's the same compound as the other beautiful structure that we've seen so that's all in barcelona um at the ciudad de las what artes is las ciencias so uh so she finds out that Sirak is actually the one behind the takeover, but they haven't been able to find any info on him, even though he's apparently a trillionaire. I really like this sequence, though, like as as incredulous as you sound right now. (laughs) (laughs) And remember that he has like access to a system that controls everything. So he has godlike powers in this world. But uh, to circle back to our uh, examination of the title of this episode, um, the the absence of field um they describe Sirach as a black hole in the global economy and so they they are able to track him by his absence which i think is kind of a, a cool concept uh that works thematically uh with with that larger idea of like something's missing so something's missing in the global economy and it's a trillion dollars uh, and, <laughs> and Vincent Cassell <laughs> you know what they say a trillion dollars here a trillion dollars there pretty soon it's going to add up to real money one of these days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, apparently they like Delos and Sirac have had like a bit of a have been a, you know uh, entangled a little bit in the past, but now he like is really uh, he's really gunning for them. Yeah. He, so he wants this guest, all the guest data that they have that library that we saw Dolores read. Like she flooded the forge and sent all the guest data. You know, destroyed. I thought she destroyed the guest data, but I guess the premise of this season is that she sent all the guest data with the hosts into in the Valley beyond, like wherever she tucked them away. That's the data that Ciroc wants. And Mm. that's why uh, the like simulated Lee Sizemore was interrogating Maeve, about like, how'd you do it last time? And where the fuck did you put it by the way? Um, So Dolores has the answer uh, is the, is what and is why Sirach is uh, wanting to find Dolores. 
Charlotte heads home to 1050 Fremont Street, which uh, you have some intel on where that actually would be, right? Presuming she's in San Francisco, which they think she is based on the establishing, you know, skyline shot. Um, there is no 1050 Fremont Street in San Francisco. I, I typed it into the map. That's because Fremont Street is like four or five blocks. Um, and so it doesn't go up to 1050. Uh, but Fremont street, the four or five blocks of Fremont street that do exist in the city are in uh, a neighborhood called Rincon Hill, uh, which is like right near the water and right near the financial district. And it's a, it's a, it's a location in San Francisco. I mean, ridiculously expensive. That's where we would expect um, Charlotte to live. Uh, it's a, it's a place in San Francisco that is like on the come up in terms of like, uh, only being recently zoned as residential. So they're working like crazy to build residential, like packed in residential housing for the Bay Area uh, housing crisis, basically. But it's located right by the water and right by the financial district. So it's like primo, primo real estate there. Uh, which is, as you'd expect, for someone who's a board member of one of the most promising <laughs> robotics companies in the world. The age she, of 30 something. <laughs> she goes in and this guy named Jake is there and. She doesn't really <laughs> it's so weird. this is weird, right? Cuz It's very weird. It's weird cuz he seems to know her and she doesn't know who he or she doesn't know why he's there. And then so she just starts making out with him to try to distract him from the fact that she's acting weird, but then like that's when he's like, "Wait, he might hear us." And she's it's like, "Oh, hey, actually, you have a son who's in this." And it's just like why wouldn't she know all of these things? You know, like exactly. if she exactly. was acting like Charlotte. And also, is this the first time she's gone home? No. You know I, mean? I mean, that's not the implication. The implication is that it's been uh, like a while. Yeah. That she's months. Been back. Months. And so and she already knows. And then he already says, like, you keep like forgetting to pick up our son. So she's already made this mistake. Um, And then, yeah, when he's like, he'll hear you. And she's like, who? And I'm like, babe. <laughs> <laughs> there's a child in your apartment and you know that already so you're just doing it for the benefit of the audience it just yeah. feels like clumsy clumsy exposition for the audience yeah yeah uh like i used to live here charlotte oh, okay they used to live together you have a son charlotte oh, maybe, maybe okay. it's because maybe it's because the charlotte in this episode is like her mind is deteriorating right maybe uh and that's why uh, she is trying to peel her own skin off. Conveniently, so. conveniently, uh, <laughs> it is helpful in de- providing exposition for the audience as to who these characters are. All right. Um, anyway, so then we she... shout, shout out Michael Ely, who plays Jake. Um, not like a huge part of this episode or anything, but that's an actor I really like. So it's nice yeah. to see him always. So she meets her son, Nathan, and they have this little dialogue. And, you know, he wants to see an elephant. There are, uh, there are apparently n- no more elephants unless you're in Raj world. Uh, and then Nathan says a, a few things like, you're not my mommy. You're not tucking me in right. All these things, which, by the way, is it, isn't it always the children that are the first to know, Joanna? You know, it's always <laughs> the children. And I think, like, you think she comes off as pretty creepy at this scene, right? I, yeah. Later when she's, like, being nice to him, I think she gets it better a yeah. little later. But here it's just not working super well for me, especially when he's, like, you're doing it wrong and she's, like, half lying on top of him. And he's like, you're tucking me in wrong. And she's like, no, no, don't worry. Mommy's got this. And you're like, oh, my God. What's happening? Yeah. So, yeah. Not yeah. great. Um, yeah. That that was another instance that I thought might be a thematic sort of um, negative space idea is like the absence of 
the absence of elephants, the absence of horses, the absence of like all these other creatures makes that dog like that much more, uh, you know, uh, alluring to a child because all these other animals are gone from the world. So then there's like a bunch more things we find out that are true of the, uh, the this whole Delos takeover. Like there's, theoretically, there's like a mole uh, in Delos. I, I think the mole is actually Charlotte, right? Like that's, that's well, what we think the mole is. It is and it isn't, right? Um, because later, later in the episode, Sirach says, you didn't think you were the only one I controlled, did you? Right? Mm. And so – and she's not the one who smuggled Maeve out for him. Because it seems like Charlotte is only right. just discovering in this episode that she's working for him. And she seemed a little like, oh, Maeve's missing? Uh-oh. Like, that's how she seemed about it. So he's, they say there's someone like top-level, inside job, uh, admin-level access who smuggled the Maeve control unit out for Ciroc. We don't know who that is. And yeah, uh, any let's, speculation or do you, yeah, I, I, uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. So let's speculate. Yeah. Um, cause there's not that many characters left. <laughs> right. Uh, Stubbs. <laughs> like, who else? Who else has admin? Well, honestly, who else has admin level access? Bernard, Felix and Sylvester. Felix and Sylvester don't have admin level access. I think the that Met- Stubbs does. Ed Harris's character. Ed Harris's character. Maybe. Yeah. Anyway. If Sirach has control of William, who we have not seen hide nor hair of, um, then maybe. But um, what if it's Stubbs and that complicates the whole, like, you know, yeah. Stubbs is with Bernard now. And if he's, like, actually working for Sirach in some way. Dun, dun, dun. Right? There's no one else. I mean, unless it's <laughs> unless one of they these introduce other, like, a whole another character, which I'm not putting it past them. To, uh, to the do, the yeah. woman who's like who's like uh, reporting to Charlotte in this episode, her the character's name is Irene. I really liked her. I liked her whole style. I liked her vibe. I liked her, but she seems like so new on the scene to be an interesting mole. So yeah, it's true. Stubbs, Stubbs or William seem to be the only <laughs> two people. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So they go to this hotel and Charlotte's freaking out and she's he's like, Dolores, I need your help. And Dolores kind of calms her down and reassures her a little bit. And uh, Dolores puts Charlotte to bed and says, like, you belong to me. And it's it's not sexual, but it's like it, it feels a little bit romantic to me in some it's ways. It's so interesting because, OK, because like obviously people are watching this and they're like, who's in Charlotte's body? Right. Like That's the big question. Yeah. Right. And like, so I think that they tried to play this scene as both potentially romantic and potentially maternal. Mm. And I actually think Evan Rachel Wood really landed it as both. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. I I think if they were looking for a confusing sort of uh, like, who could this be? Uh, Let's figure it out based on the way that Dolores treats her. Well, you can't really get a read on it because it really just sort of like floats around sexual and maternal. Um, but this this shot of them overhead, like, you know, and Dolores is dressed in all black and Charlotte's dressed in all white and blah, blah. Um, and you've got a, a head of blonde hair and a head of dark hair and blah, blah. And then like um, there's that shot of them overhead where they're like spooning on the bed. And um, that recalls 
to my mind, two images we've seen before in Westworld, possibly more. But the first one it recalls is Maeve and her daughter. There's a shot of them overhead on the um, on the maze uh, in the dirt. That's a scene uh, from earlier in the season series when they're like dead. Um, and then uh, last season, Teddy on the ground, uh, dead. Dolores got on the floor and, and like spooned him on on the ground. So that so again, that reinforces the whole like maternal or romantic. It's a it's a it's a posture that's been adopted to me both on the show. So, mm. all right. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry. And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Right. So... Uh, then Charlotte kind of wakes up, you know, uh, Dolores is left in the middle of the night and, uh, or in the middle of the day, whenever the time period is. <laughs> uh, and then she kind of is like, is watching the, the video that real Charlotte made before she died and singing, you are my sunshine to her son. Um, and so then she goes to pick Nathan up, but then there is a pedophile there, uh, who's trying to, I guess, uh, get you know get in good with her son and she awakens uh a part of her like the charlotte part of her and then murders the pedophile uh and well when she says i'm remembering who i am like yeah. do you really do you think she means the charlotte part of her or the whoever's inside of her part of her or is it intentionally ambiguous so here is my interpretation of the episode is that you know, the problem with Westworld is you, you don't even know what you're watching any time, uh, at any given time, right? But, but, but here's, my, here's my interpretation is that uh, that last episode, uh, the characters say, hey, humans are really easy to predict. Look, we wrote, we wrote out your whole thing. Your whole personality is written in this book. Humans are so easy to predict. And what I think this episode is trying to say, maybe, until, I, until we find out who Charlotte actually is in this episode, is – that there's something about being human that if you like that 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 it takes over your person once you it takes over who you are once you once you try to assume someone's identity it's like the equivalent of you know if you had a heart transplant you know and like you take on characteristics of the person whose heart you have um in the same way charlotte hale the robot version is taking on characteristics of actual charlotte hale who theoretically might have murdered this pedophile but maybe it's gonna make a lot more sense once we figure out who charlotte actually is and that person has murdered pedophiles or something like you know who knows i don't know so that's my interpretation is like basically what this episode is about is 
what it means to be human and how how there's something essential about being human quote unquote life finds a way that's kind of my interpretation <laughs> i'm gonna um i'm gonna make an allusion to the tv series lost which i know you haven't watched uh-huh. uh so i'm gonna try to do it in a way that does not spoil anything but there is this notion on lost where if you are an entity inhabiting another entity's body for yeah. long enough, how can you not start to become that person in various ways? Right. You know what I mean? Like this idea of like, how can, if you have their memories, if you, you know, if you have their physical presence, how do you, how does your personality not start to get confused with theirs? Yeah. Um, and so that's definitely what you're seeing with her here. I just don't know if in that moment she meant Charlotte or she meant whoever is inside there. Yeah. yeah. Um, There's this idea of praxis, right? Which is that like mm. the definition of praxis is like, uh, is that, that basically like when, when you do, you, you can become right. Like if, yeah. you're, if you, if you act like an asshole every day, eventually you are an asshole. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> that's um, a, that's a, that's a justified quote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something that's close to that. It's close to that. Uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. Uh, so anyway, I, uh, <laughs> that, that was, that was my interpretation. We'll see what happens when we find out who's actually in the Charlotte body. So, um, but yeah, this idea of her, like, I liked I like this idea of of like well so she's doing this like self harm thing which obviously I don't like and um but her description of it like like Charlotte Hale is trying to like pull <laughs> the hostness out of her and also I liked the design of it too I mean that maybe that's kind of a sick thing to say but when like Dolores takes the clothing off of her and you see that it's not just a line but it's like these circles around the joints. Yeah. And the lines, like, that's a very cool-looking, um, you know, design. Um, and then also we should note, I guess, that Dolores says, like, you belong to me. Nobody knows you better than me. Nobody knows me better than you. So those We are, know if, it's if, not if James Marsden, right? Because he's theoretically in robot heaven. Oh, we think so. I don't know. Indeed. Yeah. All right. So then we find out, basically, like, she's playing these tones on her phone, and it takes her to a certain place. Like, it's basically Ciroc has been sending her these tones, waiting for the right moment to activate the self-driving car to go to this location. That also feels like a weird lost illusion. But once again, like, Lisa Joy has sworn that, like, there's this huge lost the TV series reference in season two that Lisa Joy swears is unintentional. Mm. This also, there's, there's a lot of lost in this episode. Is what I'm going to say. And, and Westworld can keep saying it's unintentional, but like, I don't know, maybe it's just seeped <laughs> that far into the ground. Yeah, the it's just in the air. Water. Yeah. It's in the air. Yeah. So she goes there and you find out, Hey, she's actually working for Ciroc kind of right. Um, the, or, or rather Charlotte Hale was maybe the, like the person, I think we're meant to understand that whoever's in Charlotte Hale's body wasn't necessarily aware of this arrangement, right? Is, that was Not my interpretation. Until, yeah, it seems to me like she's adapting on the fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to this situation where she, so she goes to Marin County, uh, FYI, home of uh, home of a lot of rich assholes, and also where I grew up, um, and. Uh, <laughs> to this mansion but Ciroc is not there because she's got the AR glasses on right so like it's a hologram of Ciroc but his lieutenant uh, the scary uh, woman we met uh, in episode one is there except she's being really nice 
to uh, Charlotte. Uh, yeah, and he's he, basically this is another sort of exposition dump. We learn a lot about uh, the nature of their arrangement. You work for him? As do you, Charlotte. Forgotten our arrangement. Seems like you've been playing your role maybe a little too well. Right, like that. Um, that the deal with Charlotte's idea that he wants the guest info that's stored in the Valley Beyond, and that the key is in the mind of a host called Dolores. And then she's like, "I just need more time." And then I just can I just say his line because it's just Please. like. Time's a luxury, my dear, of which you have very little. <laughs> I mean, like, Vincent Cassell is just so great. Yes. Uh, this 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 episode bugged me for a lot of reasons, but not any Vincent Cassell reasons, that's for sure. Definitely so. getting the mustache trolling uh, going there. So <laughs> uh, so that's the end of Charlotte's storyline. It's still open to question as to who she is. Uh, and Joanna Robinson, at this point, you know who she is, right? Because you have you had to go ahead for uh, another uh, pod you were doing, right? Yeah. Um, so you will not speculate. And I'm just going to say uh, Teddy, even though that would be impossible because he's in Robot Heaven, or Clementine. Those are my guesses. Those are my guesses. Uh, even though I don't think it's technically possible for them to get Clementine either. But whatever. I, I have absolutely no idea who it is. Okay. Shall we move on or anything else you want to say? Well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm like, I'm not going to speculate anything and I'm really glad we're not in the same room. Uh, but my question is, <laughs> no, my question is um, like, what in this episode do you think was most uh, fruitful in helping you figure out, you know, because this is obviously like what Westworld fans are going to be doing this week is trying to figure out who's in there. So what was what do you think was most fruitful in this episode and trying to help you figure out who was in there? Uh, <laughs> or maybe I, there wasn't I, I, I don't I don't think it was very helpful is my answer. Yeah. Like the, yeah. I'm just lit it's just, those are just random stabs and I'm in the darkness, I can't see I'm taking a knife and just randomly stabbing <laughs> at empty space. That's kind of where I am. Okay. Which is pretty sad because I co-host a podcast about Westworld. So Well, I mean it's frustrating <laughs> because um, I th- once again, and you know, we we have a whole other half of the episode to talk about Dolores and Caleb, which is not that interested in like trying to confuse us. But sometimes I gotta say, when Westworld is trying to like keep the mystery alive for us, it can just be more frustrating than anything else. Because like I don't mind the twists and certain reveals. Like like I said, like the the reveal that Stubbs is a host. I love I love that twist. I really like it. Um, or the reveal that even Bernard was a host in the first season. I think that's a good reveal. Like there's some of these twists. The double timeline in season one I really like. Yeah. But then there's some of them that are they're just trying too hard. To keep us sort of like groping around in the dark, uh, in a way that that I, keeps us at a distance from the emotional journey of the episode. Indeed, indeed. So I'm frustrated. But that's that's what the. Uh, but that's kind of what the <laughs> that's kind of what the the quote unquote brilliance or the one could argue the greatness of the episode lies is that it doesn't matter who's in Charlotte Hale's body, right? Is that whoever it was. They're eventually going to get taken over by Charlotte Hale, uh, which I, I admire them for trying to make that point. I don't know if it fully succeeded, and we'll see when we find out who Charlotte is, whether or not it worked. So, 
Jonah Robinson, before we move on, you have we have some names to thank. Who would you like to thank this week? Oh, yes. Um, I would like so much to thank Natasha George, Travis Norton, uh, Aaron Badillo, Kevin Fina, Feeney, sorry, uh, The Leakster, um, Martin Decker, <laughs> Vittorio Fizzotti, uh, Jordan Cohen, um, Oliver Eichhorn, uh, Roberto Villarreal, uh, Sabine Meyer, Tom Tiberius Neal, uh, Blake Sirock, uh, oh, uh, Brad Strudwick, uh, yep, uh, Christopher <laughs> Shanice, nope, Shin, nope, Schnazzy, Schnazzy, yeah, I think that's Christopher, right, Christopher yeah. Schnazzy, Ron King, uh, Ingen Lindlin Ordal. Nice. Uh, Chris, <laughs> I don't think so. Kristen Butterfield, Jessica Pippin, and Zach uh, Pappas. Thank you guys so much. Thanks to Stephen Cobb, Dan Cleland, Alex Merle, Glenn Diamond, Mike Yigdal, Jake Kaviki, Rhea, Phil Jackie, Hanson Ho, Cindy Sheeran, Nick Pick, Corey Proft, Rebecca Vera Burgos, Ross Garvey, Adrian Seal, Cody Ryan, Devin McLaughlin, Jason Brinig, Terry Dormer, Sarah Wingo, Chambo, The Anelli Family, and Josh Froschizer. Thank you all so much for contributing to the Decoding Westworld Kickstarter. You're the reason we're here, chatting in depth about Westworld this season. Uh, y'all are awesome. Let's get to the second part of the episode. Dolores and Caleb. It's the immediate aftermath of two episodes ago, John Robinson, and we see uh, EMT's pick up Dolores they don't know that she's a robot so like they're like why is she missing a heart all this crazy shit that's in her body they don't even understand uh and so Caleb's just like he he you know has has been out in the field he knows what to do he starts taking command uh but then police override the ambulance they can remotely shut down the vehicle um and Caleb sees on his Rico app that this is a cleanup job uh so yeah go go ahead sounds like you're gonna say something yeah, well, I, I think this this is an incident that that reinforces um, that email, that Gattaca email. I think this idea that like the EMTs don't know what to do mm. because their machines yeah. can't read Dolores, and they're like, we so, don't know until the machine tells us. We need to like, wait for the analysis. <laughs> and he's like, you need oxygen and blood, dummies. <laughs> and this is actually a, a callback that I do like uh, to season one. I don't remember like Teddy shows up half dead in season one, and uh, the Man of Black William. Uh, drains another host of blood in order to revive Teddy. At the time, we were like, I'm sorry, what does blood have to do with the operation of robotics? Um, we never got an answer to that, but we do know that blood transfusions do work to revive hosts. So Caleb puts a blood hooks a blood transfusion up to Dolores. I don't know how he knows her blood type. Um, and uh, maybe universal uh, donor bag, who knows? Uh, anyway, so the fact that she's able to get up later... Uh, is because of the blood that Caleb put in her. So, mm. so then job, the quote unquote cops show up, uh, mm. but then Caleb is like, I don't think these are cops. And then, uh, sure enough, they start murdering people left and right. Uh, they kill the EMTs, but then Dolores gets up and she starts killing everyone. Uh, basically, everyone ends up dead other than uh, Caleb and Dolores. And Caleb sees kind of like, wow, Dolores has some real crazy skills. Uh, Dolores tells Caleb to change his name because she's like, you need a new one because you helped me. And then she rides off into the sunset. I can't um, I, uh, I can't tell whether or not Caleb saw her drag that dude. Mm. He definitely saw her like lift him. 
I can't tell if you saw her drag that dude. And if like, like, do we think Caleb knows that Dolores is not a human by the end of this episode? I don't think so. I think he thinks she's a human lady. Mm. Uh, What do you think? It's tough to say. It's tough to say, but I understand why you're asking the question because uh, he, he like theoretically has a distaste for, for robots. Right. I don't know. I mean, the fact that she wants to start a revolution against humans, uh, I guess she could just be an insurgent. Right. But like, well, she's like freeing humans from yeah, their enslavement. Yeah. Like it's not like her, her philosophy. I don't think would tip him. The fact that she just like effortlessly dragged a dude my, you know, like I'm not saying ladies can't drag dudes, but like you know, you gotta yeah. bend oh, your, oh, okay, your back okay. into it. Okay, 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 I mean? John. Okay, so so someone can uh, a 31 year old woman can serve as the board of Delos, but uh, like- Evan Rachel Wood can't pick up a 200 pound guy. Okay, okay, I see how it is. Not without bending her knees and like putting her back into it. No, she's just like strolling along in some stilettos. No, no. So I got it. I got it. There's like a car there. I was just trying to catch catch the angles to see if Caleb saw her do that. Um, but anyway, he seems to have no problem with her killing dudes. So that's, that's good to know. <laughs> uh, Caleb visits his mom at the hospital again. Also, uh, he learns through the Rico app that like he's now in the app, which I thought that was really cool. Cause it's just like, Oh, th- this is the app that will one day turn on you obviously. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, so he... but also i was like what are the settings on this they don't block the target <laughs> like why would you alert the target that he's the target because well, no one has names no one has names in the app oh that's right by the way just fyi for a uh society that theoretically is much more heavily surveilled than ours uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people get murdered in this episode without any consequences <laughs> i know like with the charlotte thing they're like she's like oh well thanks for turning off all the cameras for me it's like huh i guess that's uh sufficient huh to... I just don't understand why everyone doesn't have one of those little like red buttons that turn off all the cameras around them. Like, how easy are those to make? Is it like, <laughs> is it just pedophile Tommy and Lena Waithe that have them? Like, what's going on? Also, the first time I watched the episode, I like missed the fact that she killed him. I don't know. I guess I was like looking away. Uh, and, sorry, that's just a flashback to like Char- Charlotte killing the pedophile. This time I watched it, I was like, oh, that's, that dude's dead. He did. Oh, okay. He did. Anyway. Uh, there there was a really nice moment, though. Charlotte's son in that scene is playing on a playground, and for a split second, you see a boy he's playing with, and that boy has a hospital mask on. Uh, and it looks like a white kid has a hospital mask on, which is like uh not like it's it's a safe thing to do it's very prevalent in asia not because of coronavirus but because it's like a normalized social thing and i thought huh what a nice little touch they're predicting in the future that wearing uh like sick masks is just going to be a normal way of life anyway very very random observation uh going back to this thing people from the rico app pick up caleb uh at the hospital because they're capturing him uh, and they uh, turn on his drip, uh, which you described earlier in the episode, and they like are using it to control his bodily functions using a tablet. Uh, they ramp up his uh, heart rate super high. Uh, and then at that point, he, like Caleb's robot buddy wakes up. Like, what, what was your interpretation of why his robot buddy woke up? Was it like Dolores was controlling him or... That's what I thought. I thought Dolores was like, shoot, I'm on my way, but it's going to take me yeah. a while to get there. So, like, maybe I'll wake Chappie up and he can, like, help. Um, uh, or it's, like, heard its master's voice. I don't know. One of those two. But, like, this idea of them calling it Rin Tin Tin, by the way, is a really good 
robot slur. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I think I think generally all slurs are bad, but if you're gonna slur a robot, Rin Tin Tin's pretty good because you know, like Rin Tin Tin's a dog. Yeah. But also like tin for a robot. Yeah. Got yep. levels. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Pretty good. good. Pretty good. Good job, goon number one. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, whoever's job it was in the rest world writers' room to think up robot slurs. You nailed it. You nailed it. Yeah. Uh, so then uh, Dolores swoops in and saves Caleb. Uh, what do you think of this whole part? I mean, I know we already talked about it a little bit, but the whole part where they can like control him by a tablet and like. It was Accelerate. upsetting. It's upsetting. Yeah. It's yeah. it's plausible. I thought the the show did a good job of building up that world, and then they're mm-hmm. like, can you imagine like your heart's beating super fast, and you can't control it. Like, and of course, the I like that the first thing he did when he got free was to turn his heart down because uh, that seemed like a realistic thing to want to do at that moment. Versus like the tablet getting constru- destroyed or something stupid like that. So like, I actually really enjoyed how that played out and. Yeah, and I liked that he did it for himself. That it wasn't like Dolores. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, whatever. He's he's like, okay, and let me let me let me take care of that. Um, <laughs> let me slip I into have, something more comfortable. Uh, go ahead. I have, <laughs> I have a quick question about. So she asked Connell's to find Caleb, and Connell's in theory uses Connell's, who's like another one of her, you know, controlled doppelgangers or whatever. Um, she asks him to find Caleb and. Presumably, he uses the insight system to do so, right? Because he he mentions like insight has the odds of his life expectancy like yeah. down and stuff like that. So when she's talking about like who has access to the system, and we found out it's only Sirak, we found that out in season episode one. Do we feel like that means only Sirak can like pull the plug on the system? But uh, if you if you if you're top level at insight, or if you work at insight, or whatever, you can read the system. Yeah, that's my. Do you know what I mean? That's my interpretation. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, so b- basically, she's gunning for Sorak is really what this is setting up, right? Well, it's just like when she when they were like only Sorak has access. I'm like, what does that mean access? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like because Connell's has access to find Caleb, mm. so Sorak has access to the the off switch. I guess um, would be the idea. So. Dolores shows up to save Caleb uh, and then frees him. And then he says, well, Dolores, nice to finally meet you. And in the show notes, you said it feels like the end of the episode. That was my exact reaction. I thought it was going to be cut to credits right there. Right. Uh, But then there's still 20 minutes of the episode left. (laughs) I feel like it would they cut uh, in some version of this season. That was the end of an episode. Mm. That's what I think. Yeah. I mean, you know, the episodes are pretty close to 60 minutes, right? They could split them into like 10 40 minute episodes or something like that right maybe I, am i doing the math I, right there i just feel so convinced that at some point that was a hard out on an episode yeah well yeah. dolores it's nice to finally meet you the next scene is them walking together it's not even cut back to charlotte it's like the next scene is right. them still walking together and i'm like okay all right uh anyway. basically you should be running this show Joanna. no <laughs> no 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 they're so much smarter than i am um, so they go to this diner, and that's when she reveals like she knows basically everything about him. That's that's a kind of okay. That's a fun little moment. That's a fun little LA moment. So the Ocean Diner in Hermosa Beach is a real diner that's like uh, built. I think it's built either built in the 1940s or its decor is supposed to invoke the 1940s. Um, and so they definitely they absolutely shot it there. But what I like there's this establishing shot of like. 
um, Hermosa Beach having like grown up into skyscrapers all around it, but the diner is still the diner that exists now in 2019 is still there in 2058. It's just everything's grown up around it. What about now um, in 2020, John Robinson? Sorry, 2020. <laughs> when, when did we record this? Where am I? Who am I? We, we recorded um, this episode six weeks or six months in advance, actually. People don't know that. We used the Rehoboam to find out what was going <laughs> to happen. predict what the episode was going to be. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's a, that's a little like fun little L.A. location gem uh, yeah. that they used. So she talks about Rehoboam. I, I mean, basically what Dolores does, she describes how Caleb's mom left him at this diner. Is this some kind of joke? He sat in that spot for five hours. Your mother never returned. She was institutionalized six months later for schizophrenia. A waitress took pity on you and called social services. You were eight years old. Sarah. The waitress's name was Sarah. But you already know that. Uh, he reads in the transcript of the police report and uh, reveals that uh, his mom had schizophrenia, as as we discussed earlier. And Dolores reveals, like, hey, Insight knows everything about you. This whole sequence uh, towards the end of the episode basically confirms everything you predicted about what would happen this season in Westworld, right? That it's going to be about Insight and how it's, like, boxing you in to these different roles in your life. It predicts that Caleb's going to kill himself. And, hey, don't you want to resist the system? Because if once you know what it says, you can, like, actually try to counteract it. Um so nicely done, Joan Robinson. You nailed it. You nailed it. <laughs> Thank you. And I, I mean, I, I will only say that because I had information. The information was the like preseason material that they put out. Like they, you know, as I mentioned in our preview episode, they threw this event uh, the where they did like stuff, a fake, yeah. fake insight event and stuff like that. So they put some of that information out there in the world. But I promise that everything we talked about in that preview episode was before I had seen any episodes. So yeah. it's not like I was like, oh, well, I think. <laughs> uh, I remember, I remember like there was himself. a time when like there was a time when we were recording Cast of Kings where like people would write in every week with <laughs> strangely accurate predictions of what would happen next, claiming they had never read the book. Um, I've seen some of it around Westworld already this season, yeah. I gotta say. Yeah. It happens. Yeah, yeah. Um Yeah, let me see if there's anything that like Yeah, so Caleb Caleb's like, I'll join your revolution. Um so like one thing that's important about their conversation, which they have on the uh, Hermosa Beach Pier, uh, is that uh, you know Dolores states her mission, which is just to turn off the system and then figure. And and we we believe she's telling Caleb the truth here, right? Like, I yeah, believe. I think so. Yep. Yep. So her mission is to turn off the system and then expose the humans for who they are. Hold up a mirror to the world and and show them who they are in some way. Hmm. And that, to me, is different. I mean, Maeve says Dolores wants a revolution, right? But Bernard thinks Dolores wants to kill all humans, and that's not my sense of what Dolores wants to do, that there are humans that she wants to liberate. And especially, like, we we had predicted that this would happen, um, or, or had wondered if this would happen, that she thinks she knows the nature of mankind. She thinks, I know the heart of man, it's dark and evil i've met william i've met ford i know who these i know who men are but she says already in this episode like i thought i knew <laughs> thought i knew everything there was to know about the heart of man but caleb buddy you surprised me 
Uh, I didn't see that coming. Well, she's just confirming what we all already knew, which is that Aaron Paul is the key to unlocking and perhaps saving the human race. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> We've known it since day one of Breaking Bad. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so... Yeah, science! Okay, anyway. <laughs> Magnets! Um, anyway, so she's she's learning something new about mankind from uh, from Caleb. Yeah, uh, presumably. Um, which is and- which is kind of cool because I mean I, I I've watched some of the making of stuff for this season and they they talk about how like Caleb is or Aaron Paul has a great everyman quality to him and I do that's what I think of that's if you if you said to me David Chen word associate with Aaron Paul uh, everyman would be one of the words I can really. Yes. It's so interesting. I was just having this debate on uh, around, well, sorry, the TV show Lost. I promise this is the last time I'm bringing it up. But uh, there's a, you know, the main character on that show is a doctor named Jack Shepard, played by the very handsome Matthew Fox. And Matthew Fox, back in like 2005 or six or something like that, described himself as an, as an everyman, his character. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, but you're like deeply hot and you're playing like a privileged white doctor. Like that doesn't strike me as every man. And when I think of every man, I think of like a John C. Riley. Mm. Like that's what every man means to me. Aaron Paul is not really that to me though. It's not as far off as <laughs> Dr. Jack Shepard of Lost. Yeah. But like, but uh, do you know what I mean? It's more like, I mean, you know, Caleb is, uh, you know, he works, he's a blue collar guy yeah. and blue collar to me feels like a qualification for every man. So I think that that's like, that's well, he a convincingly good plays a blue, blue collar guy. And this is what I'm saying. Yeah. But, yeah. I yeah. think you're right. You're right. Yeah. Anyway, any other thoughts about what happens at the end of this episode and Dolores <sighs> and Caleb and Caleb, I think basically being like, you know, I'm going to, let's do this thing. Right. You're going to cut the cord to the system. And show this world for what it really is. You want to know why I didn't tell those guys about you? You are the first real thing that has happened to me in a long time. <laughs> well, I, I'm just, I still want to know whether or not he's uh, saying yes to joining uh, a hot lady he's just met on her mission to disrupt society or a hot robot that he's just met on her mission to disrupt society. Because mm-hmm. uh, those two decisions seem very different to me. And if he still doesn't know that she's a robot uh, and he's like a little prejudiced against right. robots. Then like, there's going to be drama in him finding that out, right? Right, so, right. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, two other things really quickly. Number one, Dolores puts a contact in when she's getting ready to leave, uh, the hotel where she is with Charlotte and it's like a special (laughs) digital contact. There seems to be no payoff for that moment, Mm. uh, in the episode. And I just don't understand what that was or why we watched it when like her whole body is synthetic. So like, what is this? (laughs) extra synthetic contact lens do maybe i missed the it. only I thing know. i would speculate on it is like when the contact lights up it lights up in a in like this ring formation that kind of looks like those rehoboam sequences at the beginning i, I don't know if it was kind of bringing a parallel to that that was my thought on it anyway i don't know um i don't know 
And then there's something very Greek about, um, you know, if we're talking about Greek mythology and Westworld, there's something very Greek about this notion of the self-fulfilling prophecy, right? That like, yeah. okay, so Caleb is marked to kill himself. And for that reason, uh, the system is going to ensure that he doesn't get married and he doesn't, uh, you know, get a different job. Uh, and in doing so ensures that he's going to kill himself. And it's a feedback loop and never having feedback loop. And that's, you know, that's the notion of the self-fulfilling prophecy. If it's like you find out what is going to happen to you in, in, Greek mythology or maybe any mythology, but if you find out what's going to happen to you, usually the avoidance, the attempt to avoid that is what leads you directly to doing yeah. that. So Oedipus being a great example. Right? Correct. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so before we, we wrap up Jenna Robinson, uh, so I, I think overall episode was kind of rough. The Charlotte Hale was kind of rough. And this, this Caleb Dolores stuff just felt like it was again, more set up for what is going to be hopefully, major conflicts coming down the line that will be interesting, but it, it did feel very like table setting uh, esque and that's okay. Cause it's episode three, but it was it just, I, I don't, I think people would be hard pressed to say like, this is their favorite episode of Westworld, you know? Uh, all that said, before I wrap up, I did want to follow up uh, with the game of Thrones thing we discussed last week. <laughs> Cause we were, we were supposed to bring this up at the beginning of this episode, but I forgot. Uh, but yeah. now before we wrap this up, like last week, there was this scene in the episode where you see uh, the creators of Game of Thrones about to carve open Drogon, um, uh, you know, in in the in the backstage area of Westworld, in the green room of Westworld, uh, where the texts work. And uh, you had said like we we actually got a lot of insight. Like every week, they release kind of more info about the making of an episode. And this week, it was how did they nail? How did they manage to get that amazing cameo with those guys? In this episode. That was that was well, like the making of this, you know, season three, episode two, right? Well, partially. Um, I, I just want to know. Okay, so so George R. R. Martin himself has said that he wanted a Westworld Game of Thrones crossover. And I forget if we talked about this last week, but like, you know, they used the Hand of the King pin in season one and they used the astrolabe in the library in season two. So they've done these little game of Thrones Easter eggs. And you and I agreed that if they had just left it at Weiss and Benioff, that would have been a fun little like game of Thrones Easter egg for season three. Right. Uh, and it was like Drogon that really sort of took it over the top for us. Um, but apparently, so Jonah Nolan gave this interview once again to Kim Renfro business insider about how, um, they've not only wanted to do game of Thrones references on the show, but they really wanted to do Jurassic park references on the show. But they're not allowed <laughs> to talk about Jurassic Park because they don't own the rights to Jurassic Park. And he's like, I'm pretty sure Universal is like a Universal lawyer is watching every episode waiting to sue us if we say the word dinosaur on uh, Westworld. So this was their way of like trying to do a Jurassic Park reference. Like that's why they went to the dragon. Um, is like their way of trying to like, you know, and we mentioned like talking about you know, a startup out off the coast of Costa Rica or whatever is, is a Jurassic park reference. Um, but like when I guess with enough plausible deniability that they could, uh, you know, they didn't say like Isla Nublar or whatever. Um, they didn't say InGen or like yeah. <laughs> exactly. So they're not going to get sued for saying that. Um, that being said, both Lisa Joy in the book, like after, you know, post episode interview and Jonathan Nolan, like at least have the, uh, you know, wherewithal to be like kind of sheepish about this. Like Lisa Joy, I think called it an indulgence and he called it something else that's similar to an indulgence. So they like, they know 
they know what they did here. <laughs> they know. They know. <laughs> they know. The other thing I wanted to mention that I forgot, this is the, you know, that's, that's, I think we could call that like a, something of like a lowbrow moment for Westworld. Um, a more highbrow idea. When I was looking up the, the poetry of Mark Strand, who, uh, whose poem, as we said, inspired the name of this episode. Um, one of the things that he was obsessed with thematically was the paintings of Edward Hopper. So like the, the themes of Mark Strand's poetry and the paintings of Edward Hopper, um, are sort of really inextricably linked as, um, you know, inspirations for each other. Edward Hopper, uh, if you're unfamiliar, uh, there was this great viral, viral tweet actually when like social distancing uh, first started where someone uh, made a tweet of like four Edward Hopper paintings. It was like, we are all Edward Hopper paintings now because all of his paintings are just like people by themselves looking at windows. Basically um, there's a, his most famous one is like two people sitting in a diner um, and it's like outside the diner looking in is just two people at this, at a counter, uh, in a diner. Um, and so I'm one, I have to wonder if like Dolores and Caleb in the diner or just like some of these shots of like Charlotte by herself sort of staring out, um, of windows or across bodies of water or whatever is meant to invoke, uh, these Edward Hopper paintings, which are about self-reflection and identity and, um, isolation and stuff like that so always appreciate uh, you classing it up here general this is- <laughs> I, mean, I can only try uh <laughs> and and often i am wrong but you know <laughs> i think uh i don't think there's that much you said that's controversial in this episode so um okay. uh anyway i think that's gonna bring us into this week's episode of decoding westworld uh i hope you've enjoyed listening thanks to baby zang for editing this episode and thanks to simplecast for powering decoding westworld simplecast is the first and last word in podcast management and analytics learn more at simplecast.com you can always find more episodes at decodingwestworld.com email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com until next week john robinson where can people find more of your work on the internet uh, you can find me on uh, VanityFair.com where I do weekly breakdowns of the episode with some like visual references that maybe we didn't mention on the podcast. Uh, or you can find me on Twitter uh, at Joe wrote this. Uh, and I host a show called Culturally Relevant, which, which used to have these cool interviews with people and now is just uh, a diary of uh, myself <laughs> uh, enduring the coronavirus. Um, and I'm not joking. It's I, I, like... I don't know about you, John Robinson, but it's been difficult to focus on, you know, uh, writing and producing content during this time. Um, maybe, maybe like I, 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 for me, you know, I enjoy recording this podcast with you, but and, and it, it does help to get away from things. But like, it's just hard. Like, I, I for like two weeks, I couldn't watch a whole movie because I had tr- trouble focusing. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, I, I don't know how it's affected you, but hopefully everyone out there is doing okay. I, we do get some feedback from people saying, like, this is a welcome distraction. And so we are glad about that. But if you don't want a welcome distraction, <laughs> you should go to culturallyrelevantshow.com. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll see you later. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.